Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go. Indie Game Business. All right, we are back, and Stephanie and I were just chatting, and I completely cut her off to start. Oh, the- no, it's fine. Hi. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this talk for quite a while. Uh, Stephanie is one of my favorite people in the industry. And I don't even remember if you know the last time we worked together, but that situation actually comes up in conversations when I tell people I'll, I'll remind you later. Yeah. You're going to have to remind me because I, yeah, it's, it's been a minute, but I don't, and I don't it's, remember. It's been, and I don't want to say the wrong thing. It's been like a decade since okay. we did it, but anyway, all right. So let's start where we always start. Tell us how you got into the industry and walk us through your storied and award-winning career up to this point. Oh, Jesus. Um, (laughs) Okay, so I fell ass backward into um, doing PR for myself. I I have a degree in public relations communications from Chapman University. I have agency experience in tech. I quit that in my mid-20s because I had your standard mid-20 existential life crisis where like, oh, my life doesn't mean anything. Or like, if I'm not doing something like meaningful to change the world, then at least I should be having fun or making a lot of money. And I wasn't doing either of those. So, uh, so I quit and then I super didn't have a job and, um, I floated around for a really long time. Uh, not like a super long time, like, like a year, year and a half, which when you're that age and have that much time on your hands, it's kind of, you know, it's a lot of free time to get into trouble. Um, but I was DJing nightclubs. I was DJing like very underground illegal raves, which is a completely different story. It feels like a lifetime ago um, in Los Angeles. And then, but I wanted something steady. Like I wasn't using my brain. Like I wasn't, it just, it wasn't like, it wasn't the path I wanted to be on. And so I kept, uh, you know, I kept, you know, like you do, you keep sending your resume out and sending your resume out. And I had done some freelance work thanks to a friend of a friend for um, an animation studio in the industry called BrainZoo, BrainZoo Studios. Um, and um, I had done some business, you know, B2B work for them on some trailers that they had done back in the day when, you know, PS1 and, you know, original Xbox graphics were the way they were. So you needed your trailers, your cinematic trailers and your animated trailers to really communicate like the feel of what they were going for rather than the actual representative gameplay, you know, graphics. So did some work with them, had some success, parlayed that into landing at a small boutique agency um, where they were working to launch something called the Xbox 360 with a, a company called Microsoft. I don't know if you've heard of them at all, but um, so we did that um, a couple years later, she decided the agency owner decided she wanted to go produce movies. She had made, you know, some good amount of money and, was way more intrigued by Hollywood and, and one by one, we all sort of left. And, and a lot of people actually came from that agency, Tom Oley, Ted Brockwood, um, Vincent Slavin. There was a lot of really talented people that have had long successful careers in the games industry sprang from that agency. 
Um, and yeah, I, I guess I count myself as, as, you know, having a long successful career at this point, four million years later. Um, and so I was sort of the last one standing at the agency. We had a few clients and by the time, you know, things were shutting down, I was sort of like last man standing and um, ended up continuing the work with the clients that we had left. And I haven't had to apply for a real job since. And that was 2006, I want to say. See, that, that was not long after that, that we did work together with you yeah. on something. Yeah. So for those of people who haven't heard of things like Fall Guys, um, what are some of the, the bigger projects that you've worked on over the last decade? Over the last decade, um, the Metro franchise, Saints Row, um, Enter the Gungeon, Hotline Miami, um, the Talos Principle are probably like the three big faves from early in the Devolver years. I've worked with Devolver Digital for 11 years now. Um, Deep Silver, we've worked with Deep Silver. Um, we just recently launched Hot Wheels Unleashed. Um, and then, you know, some of the more late, some of the latest titles, Inscription, um, we're coming up on, you know, a, a, a title that I personally really like called Dolman um, from, uh, from Prime Matter. And yeah, I mean, it kind of runs the gamut between, you know, big, bigger mobile games, big triple A games and, um, and, and, you know, a lot of double A games. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, we, we do, a, we do a little bit of everything, hopefully well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Relatively well, that one. I guess. Um, uh, is yeah. there a direct correlation between running underground illegal raves and deciding you want to chase tornadoes in your spare time? Yes. <laughs> I've never drawn a direct line between those things, but they are related in that outside of work, they're the they're the two things that I kind of wanted to do the most. Um, so the, the underground rave thing, uh, the club DJ thing uh, that I did for uh, like a decade in Los Angeles um, uh, was, was pretty successful. Like I was like on the cover of a magazine and like there were some articles written about me and like once or twice, like randomly, like I don't claim to be a celebrity like at all, but once or twice, like randomly walking around Hollywood, someone would stop me and be like, oh my God, you're so-and-so. And I'm not going to mention my DJ name on this show because uh, it's it's not really Googleable anymore. I have kind of been out of the game for a while. Um, and I kind of like dismantle all of my social media around that. But um, I was like recognized and that feels weird. It's like a tiny exponential fraction of what it must feel like to be famous. And it sucked. I didn't like it. Um, it made me feel uncomfortable. I was like, I'm like that loser jerk that if I ever was famous, like I'd be the famous person nobody liked. I'm like a not famous person that hardly anyone likes, but like, yeah. You could do the whole Sia thing and have your hair down covering your face and no one yeah. would ever know, you know. I'll just, maybe that'll be my thing for like games PR when I have to like do, do like things like this. I'll just be like, it's, hold on. I'm mirrored in the, in the camera. So I'll just be like, hello, it's See, nice there, to be there you here. Go. All right, Thanks I have one good. more burning question, not directly related to PR and marketing, but it's this came up on Twitter, and I have to ask: Tell us how you managed to get thrown out of a brothel in <laughs> I knew this was coming up. I didn't think we were starting with it. Well, yes, um, because we might get into important shit later, and I'll forget to ask. Yeah. So, so 
Um, so this was really fun. I was with a company called, uh, called, I was with the try on worlds team way back, which was actually not a Tinsley client. I was doing some work for, for another peer agency and I was doing some con contracting work. And, um, I worked on that. I worked with that team for a number of years and, um, I worked very closely with, um, with the, the rift team. I don't know if there's any, um, MMORPG fans that are watching or, or, um, uh, part part of year end, but um, Rift was was a fantasy based MMORPG that did incredibly well for them, and um, it's it's one of the the games I'm most I'm most proud of. Actually, crazy, right behind me. Wait, which way? That's the cover uh, of Rift on on PC Gamer right there, right behind me. Um, uh, so we were at Gamescom, and um, I. I don't know really. I, I mean, this was so long ago. This is almost maybe nine years ago, but we were, um, we were out. It was after the show. Everyone's, you know, young and excited. And, you know, we had gone to dinner and we were, had some drinks in us and we were like, let's go to a strip bar. Like you do in those days. Right. Like it's a little bit different in the industry now. Um, but we were looking for a strip bar and uh, some folks in the car were like, well, we, you know, we don't know where any strip bars are, but we know where a brothel is. And I was like, Fuck it, let's go. Can I say my sponsor? You said I could. Okay, great. Yes, okay. you're good. Um, so you know, we yoloed our way um, in this cab to um, I don't know some place in Cologne um, that is a legal brothel. And I'm very sex work positive. Like I, you know, hey, whatever, you know, what I don't. There's no judgment here at all. Um, and but they had a bar, right? And so we were like, yeah, let's go. And um, like, I didn't think it was, like, you know, going to be, like, an orgy or anything, which is why I was, like, super comfortable with going. I was, like, let's just go. Like, I don't want to, like, necessarily sit around and watch people have sex. But, like, there's a bar and they're going to be open late. And, yeah, absolutely. So we show up and I'm, in a, you know, I'm an American idiot, right? Like, I, I have no idea what the rules would be for women in a place like that. And I've never been not uh, allowed somewhere. Um, so I just strolled in like I fucking own the place. And um, I was I made it, I think, maybe eight feet in the door. And the largest man I've ever seen in my life. Picked me up by my by my elbows, like like you would pick up like a like a kid by their elbows. Right. And I was at least 12 inches off the ground. <laughs> and suddenly, like I went from like walking into this brothel thinking oh, we're going to go order shots or something. And there was like, I mean, there was like eight or nine of us. Um, and, uh, and I find myself like, like my feet are still, and I'm kind of, you know, I'm a little buzzed and my feet are still moving, but I'm not on the ground anymore. And I find myself being slowly turned, uh, you know, smoothly turned, but swiftly, I shouldn't say slowly. And then I'm just, you know, I'm perceived like a mech, right? Like I'm piloting a giant mech and I am dropped gently right on the outside of the door and um i was we were very quickly informed there's other women with us and we were very quickly informed that women are not allowed in the brothel and we and we, we were very indignant and we said well why not you know come on what's we're here we're open-minded ladies of the millennium whatever i don't know what bullshit we were saying and um it turns out that we were not allowed in because they would be unable to determine if we were there to um, steal their business by uh, interfering with the work that the the ladies that were being paid to be there. 
totally fair, right? Um, I found it hysterical that anyone would think <laughs> that anyone would even begin to assume uh, that that I would assume that anyone would actually pay me to have sex with me. But that was, you know, this was like 2011, 2012. I don't even know. But that's so that's how it happened. And they were very like, they were very cool about it. Like we didn't, you know, we were like, oh shit. Like I'm very like follow the rules. I don't want to get anyone in trouble. I don't want to be disrespectful. And, um, and so we just, we just, we just like, I think we like fucked off to like an American themed uh, strip bar after that, um, that we found and ended up drinking the night away. Um, and like you did you, back in the, back in those days, that's, that is what you did at video game conventions. You so. completely take that as a compliment. I mean, that's the only way to, you know, that's, that's the only way I see to handle that. that that's. <laughs> Hey, I mean, I, I was down. I was like, look, I don't want to be, I don't, the last, like literally like the last thing I want to be in life is like a threat to anybody ever for anything. And if that is how it's perceived, if I'm in this facility, then God forbid, like, please, like, I don't need to be there. You know what I mean? Like, it's fine. So, right, so uh, but it was a memorable story. Like that I, is, yeah, I, I was waiting to, to, you know, hear that you tore the place up or were throwing mm. bar stools or, no. or, or something along those lines. But um, yeah, it's it's good to know that Misplayed by the Rules used to run illegal underground raves as well. So there's yeah, but that's different. You're not directly hurting anybody by throwing a rave in a barn with, <laughs> you know, at like four in the morning with speakers and a bunch of kids that just want to dance. It's like like I felt like like I was in Footloose. Right. Because with the Patriot Act of 2001, after we were, or 2002, after we were attacked, um, the, after the Twin Towers were attacked in 2001, um, they introduced, the, the government introduced something called the Patriot Act. And part of the, you know how they tack on like bullshit Random legislation shit. Yes, yes. to like a bigger bill? Well, part of the Patriot Act bill was that, was something called like the, like the Rave Act. And you can Google this. Um, and, and part of the Rave Act was like, it was like, it's a felony if someone gets caught with drugs at an event that you're throwing, whoops, my lights just went out. Um, is it felony here? Let me turn, let me turn on my screen. Um, it's a felony to, um, to, uh, be like at a rate, basically it was like footloose, right? Like it was a felony to, to, to be at a rate ever. And, um, and we were like, no, we were yeah. rebellious. We were rebellious adults. And we and damn the man. And, you know, we were protesting and we were marching and we were politically active, but uh, we were not going to, uh, we're not going to take it. So, yeah. I don't know yeah. why my other monitor is not turning on to help me out with, uh, with my lighting. That's a whole new ball game when, you know, felony yeah. charges get brought into it. Yeah, right. I know. And so we, but we did it, right? Like I, you know, damn the man, save the empire, right? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to give up on this and just, I'll just be, I'll just be glowy. See, yeah, that's it. That, that you're, you're absolutely perfect. I mean, and yeah. trust me. Watch this. Watch the show every now and then. You'll realize that we're not the the high point of technical. <laughs> um, no, I'm sure for like you know the eight people that are really interested in something that I have to say are not judging the lighting of the show. Yes. Yeah. All right. So let's start at the beginning. What is the difference between PR and marketing? Uh, we will. We prefer to spend marketing's money. On, uh, to do stuff that um, that will get the press to write about us, 
Um, that's the simplest, dumbest answer I can possibly think of for that. Um, we're so PR and marketing are very different things, but they should go together. They should go hand in hand and PR should always work as, um, either alongside or as a, as a sub level of, of marketing. Um, if, if marketing is planning a big activation where they think the press might be involved, we should get involved too. Oh, <laughs> hi, Clara. Um, <laughs> we should, uh, we should, we should be working in tandem. Um, there's this horrible buzzword um, that corporate people love to um, to say about this exact process, like when you're working in tandem with another department, and it's called synergy. Oh, God, yes. Throw the buzzwords in there. Yes, absolutely. Um, and but it's right. It's true. Uh, it's 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 when your when your ad departments, your marketing departments, your social departments and your PR department are all working together in a coordinated way to um, do a thing and, and it comes together, um, the synergy um, is, is, is like tangible and you can see the effect of the thing succeeding. So a lot of these developers that we work with, especially the ones that are watching the show, have very limited budgets to deal with. So one of the questions that came in from Discord earlier was if you only had the resources for one channel to attract new players, what would you choose? Streamers, press, social network, advertising, et cetera, for a paid PC game in particular? That is such a complicated question. And I know that sounds like PR bullshit, but it is because it's not a one size fits all. Um, I have a million questions about it. What is the what is the game? Who's making the game? What is the genre of the game? Is it Fall Guys or is it um, Battlefield, right? So um, there are games that are more suited to the wider streaming ecosphere. And actually it's, you know, I'd love Clara's input on this since I know she's watching because she's the she's the expert over at Devolver for the, the influencers. But um but I would say it, it depends on the project. It depends on probably 20 different variables um, about the game, about the team, about their goals, about if it's PC only, okay, but is it PC only because you're trying to get enough buzz and hype to, to be able to afford to port it to console? Are you looking to, to bring on a publisher? Is it a games as a service game? Like there's just like so many questions where you can't answer um, you can't answer that in a in a black and white way. Like it's not just not a simple answer because every single campaign is unique, and every single team is going to have a different set of objectives. And I and I know that like for anybody watching that's actually looking for tangible advice, or anybody that watches this, you know, past the fact is looking for like tangible advice on that. Like they're gonna be like, "Fuck off, PR lady." But like it's true. It's really true, and that's why you need to find a PR team to sit down and, and, and talk about these things with instead of just saying, oh, I'm going to get some automated platform. I'm going to get key mailer or some, or, or some press release blasting platform to do my press release globally. I'm so anti-automation in 2021 in this role because the longer I do it, the more I realize that it's a relationship-based role that need public relations and influencer outreach that and social that you cannot automate if you want actual results and you want to do the best thing you can do for your your games and your brands and your teams um i don't 
I don't, I, I'm, I'm anti-automation. I, I don't think it works as well as having an actual human being to sit down and talk to and bounce questions off based on their experience. And I've grown into this role of not just being a PR person. I, most of our clients are consulting with us on, you know, higher level, deeper business strategy discussions. And you can't ask a platform Quest, you know, questions about things that have worked in the past or how you should tweak your campaign. And you, when you use automation, you don't know if it's working until after you've already done it. And it's all, if it's, if it's just purely ones and zeros and data driven rather than dealing with people like a human being, then you're missing the relations part of the public relations. One of the biggest themes in this entire community over here at Indie Games Business is it depends. And that comes up in all, you know, we, the question that always pops up. It's like, which publishers right for me? What's a, what's a good publishing deal look right. like? And you know, it's, and I'm like, it depends. It absolutely depends on what you're doing. It's, 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 it's absolutely. Yes. There is no cut answer, but that's awesome because uh, you actually segued into a couple of other questions and I'm going one that I thought of immediately when you're talking about that press releases, is there a, point to them does anyone read them i know i'm i'm asking bold <laughs> um the press release is is a a format of a tool for communication um corporations love processes larger corporations love processes and the public relation the the the, the press release in as as a as a key tool for public relations is a way to effectively clearly and globally communicate the thing that you are communicating. So yes, and it doesn't matter to me if it's a press release in the format like that Tinsley would put out a press release, or if it's an email blast, or if it's a statement posted to your social, but social is so limited in the nuance and detail that you can communicate, right? That's you know, it's, it's Twitter, um, Facebook, it's, it's such a one way Avenue, um, uh, that's limited to whether or not some, you know, your audiences are online, uh, to see it. Right. Um, but using a press release as a tool to communicate effectively with, um, the media, the global media is absolutely, I think one of the most effective tools that you can use because the media then, if it is relevant to their audience, they are not in the business of post. And this is something that a lot of smaller companies get, get wrong. Smaller development companies get wrong. The media is not there to post your news. The media is not there to review your game. The media is not going to automatically pick up and write about your thing just because you've sent it to them. You have to give them a reason to care. You have to give them a reason to, which way am I, my hand going? There we go. I'm mirrored in this. It's so weird. You're, st you have you're still to give up. Them Don't worry about the left and right so much. It's like the up and down. I'm just going to, I'm just going to like do this. Um, You have to, I talk with my hands a lot and you can't see what I'm doing. I feel like I'm not communicating very effectively. Um, You, you have to give them a reason to care. You have to, um, you have to talk to them in a way that makes sense to their audience. Why should their audience care about the thing that you're talking about? And uh, a press release, and I'm this is broad strokes here for the greater media sphere for any industry. This is not just games. Um, is a tool that is designed to speak to them in their language, in AP style, 
uh, in a way that should. There's a lot of times you miss or a lot of things that you don't get um, right or, uh, you know, communication is very hard. Um, a lot of things that maybe are not communicated as effectively as they could be in a press release. But in the ideal world, your press release should communicate something that is directly appealing to a media outlet's audience and gives them a reason to, to care about what it is that you're saying. Hey, I launched a game is not inherently newsworthy. But hey, I launched a game. My name is enter, you know, whatever. My name's Phil Fish and I launched a game. Like, people are going to care about that. People are going to be like, holy shit, Phil Fish is back. Like Phil Fish has had like amazing uh, games that he's done in the past and he's polarizing and he's um, just one of those well-known figures to a lot of people in games media, right? But like I'm Stephanie Tinsley and I released a game and no one knows who I am as a game developer. That's not news in itself. You have to give people a reason to care and a press release is a really effective way to do that. So this is this is also from the Discord. For a solo developer with barely any budget and no sense for marketing, how would you recommend approaching PR? What would you consider the minimum cost of hiring an, an expert such as yourself to help with a campaign? That's a great question. And it again, it, it depends on it depends. some of the variables. Um, this, it would, you know, it should be a conversation. Um, start reaching out to people and, you know, don't lead with, hey, I don't have any money. Um, <laughs> but hey, I have a great project, right? Um, we've taken on projects that don't have big budgets, but we, we believe in them or we love the idea or we think that there's something there. Um, we're a business though, first and foremost, and you can't get something for free. You shouldn't get anything for free. We don't give away free advice. We don't give away free consulting. Um, we'll absolutely have a conversation with with somebody, um, but I'm not there to sort of hold their hand and, you know, tell them everything's gonna gonna be okay. I mean, we're we're a business. We we've got bills to pay too, right? Um, but if you don't have cash, maybe there's other opportunities to offer points in the revenue of your game. Or maybe there's an opportunity for them to come in and um, maybe own some shares of your company in exchange. Um, unfortunately, um, a lot of the times that we've been offered those things in exchange for PR work, it's the type of game that we haven't wanted to take on. Um, which is sad because I would love to do more work with games that we think have real potential but maybe not a lot of budget. Um, because the payoff in, at the end is a risk, right? Because you're putting a lot of time and effort and knowledge and experience that into a project where you could be doing it for somebody that's paying you, you know, thousands of dollars a month, um, and you're sort of banking on the back end. But if it's, um, you know, if it's the right fit, that is something that that you could do. Um, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. Uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of business owners would. Uh, you know, that's, that's a very polarizing topic. Do you give away percentage points in your bottom line and ownership and some ownership of your brand or your company or your game, uh, your IP, um, just to, to get the thing off the ground? It's That's a decision everybody has to make and it's got to be the right fit. I can see that going very terribly for, for a lot of people, too. I mean, as, as someone who was an agent for the first decade of his career, yeah. And, and this yeah. is what we tell people to this day. It's, it's, they're like, well, can't you help us find a publisher for a, a 
commission. And I'm like, there's a lot of work that we put into every single thing that we do, whether it is successful or not, you know? And, yeah. and so that's a, that's a risk on, on, on both sides. And so, yeah, that's a, that's, that's completely fair. Um, all right. So let me see what else we got here. Should you promote a Kickstarter campaign differently than a steam launch? Yes and no. <laughs> I'll tell you. Well, I'll tell you what we did for Sea of Stars. Um, this is, I think, and well, so we did. So we did done two Kickstarters in the last two years. I typically don't like doing Kickstarters. Um, I think that they promise a lot of things to the backers if successful that take the wind out of the sails of, of the PR team in the long run. In, when it comes to games or, or projects, but I'll tell you what we did for Dust Spiders and I'll tell you what we did for Sea of Stars, and they are almost exactly the same. One is a uh, a card game from uh, Dust Spiders is a card game that was kickstarted earlier this year, and I think some made something like sevenfold what they were asking for, or maybe more than that by the end. Um, but it's made from the folks um, behind um, uh, the uh, the game Minute. Uh, if you guys know J JW. Um, formerly from Vlambeer, um, he came to us and said, hey, we have a Kickstarter. We've partnered with IM8 Bet. I, I Bit. Um, Tim Schaefer is, has seen an early prototype and he's on board to like help us in whatever way he, you know, he, he, he's available to. And immediately I was like, I, would, I will say yes to probably anything JW ever asked me to do because I think he's a brilliant creator. The, the people that he works with and the teams that he works with um, are fantastic. And... Um, for us, we treated that very, but it was a card game. That's well, that's the other the, the other part of the story that I left out. It's a card game. Um, but he uh we we did the same thing we did here that we did for Sea of Stars from Sabotage. The Sabotage team are the folks that did the Messenger, it was game of the year, uh nominated, uh won several awards the year it came out. It's it's brilliant. Um their their next game is called Sea of Stars, and they were kickstarting it. And um for us again, it's, it's like an automatic yes. If that team asks us to do something, because we, we think that they're fantastic, brilliant creators. What we did strategically there was, um, we treated it as if it were the launch of the game, um, as if it were actually going to be launched on steam. We, we knew we were going to have to promise backers a certain thing. We knew we were going to have to, um, uh, manage this in a way that made sense, not only to the people we were trying to get to kickstart it, but also to the press. We wanted to, the games press, um, in both cases, the games press is very familiar with the teams involved. They are, um, they are fantastic um, uh, creators and there was a big story to tell there. So for us, we looped in the press very early on uh, gave them first looks at the game, gave them all of the access that they needed uh, under embargo, and then their impressions and their previews were going live for, for both of those projects as the Kickstarter launched. So if you were a, a, like a, a fan or a consumer or a, a gamer or a board game person or a YouTuber or somebody, anybody that would have interest in either promoting this or getting behind it or being involved somehow, you had proof of concept and opinions from third party sources the day that the Kickstarter goes live so that you're not just sort of blindly taking a risk on some team that's never done a Kickstarter before 
you have proof, you know, proof of concept in that Polygon wrote it up or PC Gamer covered it or IGN was had had taken a look at the prototype or or gotten a demo of the game ahead of time. So you had these um this third party credibility and proof of concept that helped right off the bat. So so yes in that sense um that that we would treat it the same but but to me typically we we don't like to take on kickstarter projects because there is it just it 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 takes the wind out of your sails further down the line when you've you've made a promise to your backers that you have to show them things first before you involve um the you know any outside parties like youtubers or press again and from a public relations standpoint that gets messy it it takes you know it it takes a lot of the momentum uh out of the campaign when you're you're trying to sustain momentum and amplify the, the the buzz of the game through through the the sort of megaphone of of the the press outlets. I hope that helps. Yes, it, it, it does. It's just definitely literally everything that you say here helps. Trust me, because there are so <laughs> many people that, that that don't know this stuff, and that's why we do this. Are you looking for a publisher for your game? Well, we have something special just for you. It's the most comprehensive listing of PC, console, and mobile publishers in the industry. Over 700 companies sorted by platform with links to their websites. You can get the list at www.powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher dash list. And you can get it for free. Check it out. All right, so I've got a question, but give me a second to get through this one. Okay. Paid marketing versus free marketing. How do the numbers in terms of wish lists differ? For example, if they do regular Reddit or Twitter posts, or should they go through Twitter ad campaigns and pay some news sites to write articles about their game? What's the, what's the big difference between the two? Or is there a big difference between the two? Well, if I understand the question correctly, someone's asking if we should pay the media to write articles about our game. And what I want to know is if someone has had success doing that, I would like to know, because I've been trying to bribe the media into reviewing <laughs> games and covering them for a number of years now, and I've never been able to do it, despite what your friend says on Twitter about you know how they're all paid media shills. I've never been able to actually exchange cash or goods or games for favorable coverage. So toss that idea right out the window. But... The, sh the shorter, more direct answer to that question is, uh, I think that that is an excellent question for a marketing agency. Um, we don't delve in paid media. We don't really delve in, in um, influencer buys. Um, there is an excellent company out there called GameSite, and you can look them up, gamesite.io. And um, they do a lot with influencer marketing. They do a lot with um, paid, paid spots like that. Um, for us, we can uh, we we focus solely on earned media. So any articles that you're you're looking at, any previews, reviews, news pieces, features, interviews, um, that's all earned media. We're not we're not paying for for that. There's no money exchanging hands. We're we're um, pitching 
and landing those stories on the on the merit of the the project or our you know relationships and trust with with certain members of the press such as like you know i can what i mean by that is i can say like hey look i know you haven't heard of this game or like hey look i know this hasn't been on your radar but like i've never steered you wrong and you should you should take a look at it and whether or not they say yes or no based on a, a history and lineage of me being able to give them good content for their audience um, you know, hopefully that results in them saying, you know, like a net yes and, and, and earning the, the media spot that way, but we're not, we're never spending the money on it. So I really, I really don't know. And we don't ever, we don't ever see, um, we don't ever see the marketing campaign or ad campaign results because it's not done through our agency. So we don't have access to those numbers usually. So I, I don't know that I can really answer that question intelligently from that side. Uh, don't worry, DA or net. Uh, we've actually got a marketing team. And I was going to say, like, three hours. Maybe, maybe this is a great question for you. I mean, I does don't, anyone I, at the Powell Group know this? No, because I do business. I'm still trying to figure out three years in how you promote a, a digital conference and a YouTube page. This is fair enough. I, I know the business side of it. I don't know the marketing side of it. That, that that's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> All right. Uh, what do you think are the absolute minimums in an ad campaign that can be done for games without bleeding too much into the wallet, Tom? Or is that another one for more That's, of the marketing? Yeah, I mean, that sounds like another great question for an ad agency. But I will say, typically, um, ad, age, ad budgets are remarkably more expensive than a PR budget. Um, though the PR hits, I think, that you get uh, and the the general you know, sort of stepping back and, and, and going, you know, just elevating the, the conversation a little bit to take a little bit of a higher level look. The, there's a, there's a net, there's a net negative cost to really messing up your communication and may, and just flubbing something or saying something that's widely misunderstood that, you know, makes, you know, makes for a bunch of negative press. Right. Um, so the, the value of having somebody that can come in and say, um, you know, hey, you guys should really consider X, Y, and Z, whether it's, um, you know, the, the proper, uh, you know, cast for your, um, for your game, um, working with the LGBTQ community, working with um, sensitive topics, social topics, and, and you have someone come in and say, hey, look, maybe don't tell your audience to, you know, if you don't like your game or your approach to this topic of, you know, gender identity to go fuck themselves. Like maybe that's not like the best strategy you could, you know, and having someone that like stops you from doing the emotional thing is invaluable. Having someone that stops you from launching your game in the United States on Thanksgiving is invaluable. Like if you're a European developer and you've never heard of Thanksgiving, like in the United States, like it's the biggest holiday of the year, like it's bigger than Christmas in the, in America. You know what I mean? Like that. So like there's that level of PR and, and consulting and advice and, and, and communication strategy and planning and streamlining and executing that is invaluable um, to, to your brand and your studio. And then that's, and then, and then, and then on the other side of that, right, there's the actual like 
media results that you get from your campaign, right? Like how many articles were written and were they good articles and did they communicate your message effectively? And like all of these wonderful things that you're sort of judged on on a daily and hourly basis by everyone that you work with forever. Um, so it's fine. Like I'm fine. It's, this is not stressful at all. It's not a stressful job. Um, uh, so uh, there's, there's, there's an, an, I've always liked to say like, take an ad that you've just spent a hundred thousand dollars for and then times it by five. And that's how much your four page article is worth in that magazine because it's not something that you designed and created and bought and paid for. It's if there's a, like a, like say like game informer, for example, like takes a, you know, an interest in whatever game and, and writes four pages with beautiful art and a beautiful layout in their magazine that goes to millions of people in North America. And they just write like a sonnet, like a love letter to your game. How much is that third party unbiased opinion worth in terms of the trust they have with their reader, in terms of the um, the value of the testimonial that they're giving your your game versus like an ad with your box art on it that says, you know, pre-order now for $19.99. Like they're, they're two completely different things, but one is so much more meaningful to the reader because of the trust that the reader should have or usually has in um, a, a, a journalist's opinion of something and it kills me that like I can't get on Twitter like like a week goes by and I get on Twitter and I see like constantly like people like writers that have been doing this forever like at IGN or PC Gamer or like Polygon or Game Informer just like getting trolled by the commenters like you're such a shill how much did you get paid for this 7.9 review like are you kidding me like that's such a like I would love to pay Dan Stapleton money for an eight out of ten on IGN. Like I would love I would I would pay him so much money, and I like he's never like that's just not that's just not how it works. This is the game industry. None of us are getting paid. If we were I mean, getting paid, I'm, we wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> I'm getting paid. I don't do anything for free. Which brings me to another point. In addition to not being a fan of automation in public relations. I want to just please ask all of the rest of the PR people that are giving shit away for free to knock it off. You guys are devaluing the experience that the that that you should be getting paid for and you're devaluing it for everyone else. So knock that shit off right now. Uh, that's why I'm no longer an agent. That was exactly years and years ago why we transitioned the agency that I was at for so long into a publisher because it never failed that some publisher would do layoffs and a producer who had been working there for two years felt that they knew everybody in the industry decided to be an agent and did it shitty. And all of a sudden everybody hates agents again. So, yeah. <laughs> Everyone hates PR people though. Like it's like PR it people lawyer. I don't know. <laughs> oh, you can at least justify your existence somewhere, you know, and the fact that we got you press and we did all this stuff and we're putting you in front of the consumers, the business people, we have to show constant data on, look, this is where we sent it. This is who looked at it. This is their feedback. This, It's, um, 
I, I I totally agree. We do give away some information here, but I mean, and fair enough. Like you know, I'm on your show, right? But uh, I'm certainly not going to take anyone through a tutorial on how to launch a game. Like it's so, you know. So yeah, the next question is, you know, we have a forex strategy game that's launching in six months, and it's going to be on this platform. <laughs> forex strategy games are great to launch because there's so strategy games, sim games, and horror games are such great genres if you're if you're going to launch a game because they have a built-in audience that like like horror especially like how many shitty horror horror movies are out there that launch you know every month that everybody talks about horror fans will watch the shittiest three out of ten movie they will play a five out of ten game well they will buy it play it and stream it and do a youtube video on it and they will talk about it on twitter Sim games are very similar. If you're into that kind of genre, you're going to buy it. 4X games, also very similar. Um, if, if you're into that genre, you're going to uh, you're, you're, you're going to buy it. You're going to check it out. It doesn't matter if you got a 5 out of 10. Um, you want to check it out for yourself. So those three genres are um, such um, wonderful uh, games to work on because they don't necessarily have to be good. I've launched really bad games games or like gore horror game very like like i think like at one point we got like a one out of a hundred from a site but it sold like five hundred thousand copies in like lifetime uh i'm not gonna say what it is but all right but that that leads right into one of the questions that i'm skipping all over the place so god forbid people, right. if no, i miss your question pop it in here because Y'all know me. My ADHD is awesome. Um, how do you handle bad media coverage? Like the media site writes a not so good story. Um, you got to roll with the punches. Um, if is it is it bad because it's saying mean things about the game that are true, or is it bad because it's just a shitty unfactual take? Um, there's different layers of what I would consider negative coverage and, and, and bad, bad coverage. And I will say that, um, there is, there's this old adage where, and, and marketing people love to say this to PR people, well, there's no such thing as bad coverage, right? Like all coverage is good coverage. Yes. That, that was, that's <laughs> no, where I was going with this. Yes. No, that's actually not true. Brand guy. Um, it, 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 you know, again, case by case basis, we've, I've gone through some, some PR mega storms. Um, you know, right now we've all been kind of watching the, the slow unfolding train wreck of Activision Blizzard. And I have been watching that with such enormous interest um, to see how they're doing it. How are they responding to it? What are the things they're doing? And I would, I would probably chop off a pinky if I could get in the room with whatever crisis communications agency they are paying $4 million an hour for um, to ask them, you know, like a series of questions myself. Um, there's some things that you have to just take on the chin. If somebody doesn't like your game, that's, the, you know, them, them's the, the, you know, that's, that's the way the apple falls or whatever the fuck I'm trying to say. But like, the, you know, uh, them's the breaks kid. That's what I'm trying to say. Jesus. Sorry. Um, but if there's someone that's just out there, that's just railing against your game and just spouting nonsense. Um, there's, there's still, I mean, there's still not a lot you can do, um, depending on, you know, what, what the subject is, but there are ways to, to, 
um, repair and rebuild reputations and, and, and relationships within the games industry. And, but it has to be authentic. Like you can't just this. And this is where I think, you know, social media has has really pulled back the curtain on on a lot of the, the unsavvy and, and clumsy ways that big corporations and brands try to navigate through apologies and, 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 and they end up just fucking it up more because they're trying to make it go away rather than actually addressing what the problem is. Um, the, the Cuomo situation is, is a perfect example of this on a celebrity level. Um, Chris Cuomo is not sorry because he did the thing and CNN didn't pull him because he did this bad thing. They pulled him because he got caught and he's sorry because he got caught. He, he, he either knew what he was doing was wildly unethical for a journalist in his position, or he didn't know, which is in my opinion, even worse. If you have a position and a platform like that, and you're a professional and you don't know the actions you're taking are immoral and highly unethical and will result in the termination of your job and a huge black eye, two black eyes for CNN um, who've been embroiled in political controversy since even, you know, before the Trump administration. Right. But even more so now where there's a war on journalism and freedom of the press in general in this country and, and largely the, the world. Um, it's, it has to come like your apologies and the things you do to, to make good. You have to mean them. If you're, if you're going to fix it, you have to really look at what's actually being said to you and you have to, or said about you and you have to look at, Hey, did, did I actually cause this? Or um, is this just someone that doesn't like my game? And, and those are two very different things. Um, usually Sorry. people don't just go after uh usually people don't just go after you for no reason but um again it's 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 a case by case is it true i mean we obviously want them to feel like they did something wrong and that something is legitimately being done about it but given the state of journalism and the media, not only in the, the real world, but also in our world. I mean, there's a strong case to say that people like Activision look at this and they go, oh, well, this shit's going to blow over when the next news cycle comes through. How much of that is, I mean, we saw it with the, with the guy from the publisher, I forgot which one, down in Georgia, when he came out and said he supported the Texas law. And then the next thing was he's not CEO anymore. Oh, Tripwire. Yes. The tripwire. Yes, that one. Thing. It's like, where do these companies, how do we take them seriously when we all, because we all read this shit. One, people like you and I, and I said this yesterday, people that have been doing this for more than five years know that that shit at Activision goes on everywhere. Tons of other companies. Everywhere. I, so I, I don't want to get too in the weeds and, and commenting on other companies when I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't think I'm qualified because I don't, I didn't say we were qualified. I just said we're going to my business, really, <laughs> what's going on over there. Um, but I, but with Activision, I, I you know, I do want to say, um, I've been in the games industry since since the the early to mid two thousands, and this was every video game company. And this is not, I'm not giving anyone a hall pass, and I'm not saying that the, any of the behavior is excusable. I think that we've been conditioned, especially as women. Um, you know, I'm a gay woman. Um, we've been conditioned to just sort of politely take a lot of shit that this new generation has decided is not acceptable. And 
um, as I get older in my career, and I'm not in my twenties anymore, right? Um, listening to young people and listening to the things that are important to them and what they have to say is probably the most important thing that I can do. Um, I have um, two full-time people that, that work for me, and, and one is in his early 20s and one is in his early, early 30s, and we, we all have wildly different opinions on things, but it's really important to me to hear their perspective on everything, when it's a social, especially when it's a social issue, because you get to a certain age, like in your mid-30s and late 30s and early 40s, and you're just like, suddenly you're like that, you're, you find yourself, you wake up one day, and you are the get-off-my-lawn guy, and you are the person that's like, well... I, everyone should have to pay their student loans because I had to do it. And it's like, you're not listening to the problem. You're not, that's not, you know, that's not right. The right way to do it. So with active, so what, so, so going back to what I was going to say, I, um, I, 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 early in my career, like talking about the brothel thing, right. That would never happen in 2021. That no. would, a company but it was completely normal 20 years, 10, 20 years decided ago. to go get wasted at a brothel in Germany would never happen now. The lawsuits behind that would be enormous or someone tweeting. This also was way before like real social media. Right. So um, this was every company. This was I mean, this was every, uh, you know, pool party in Palm Springs with the Playboy Mansion parties or the amount of times I've been at the Playboy Mansion as a games industry event like I'm you know I it, it just things were so what was socially acceptable back then and I don't know how far any of these allegations stem I don't know when I haven't really been following like a like every single detail of the case so I'm and I'm by far not an expert but like when the state of California sues you, it's not something that's going to blow over in like a day. Um, that's not a 24 hour news cycle. Um, and that's like, that's what I said. I made the joke about the crisis communications thing, but there are actual crisis communications firms out there that charge inordinate amounts of money. And I'm sure they have one or several working with them. I was talking about this with a couple of colleagues just last week. Like, I want to know who it is. Like, I want to know, like, how much it costs. Like these are the, like, I'm just like, I'm sort of pervy in that business sense that I want to know, like yeah. how much, you, how much you paying, you know, because we'll Karen, do it for a million Karen PR for, for you know, per hour. Um, but yeah, but it's a different landscape. Like in 2021, you can't not be political in, in business. Um, we're, you know, at, at Tinsley, we're pre pretty clear about a lot of the things we stand on. And, and quite honestly, there are so many companies out there that, um, they don't they don't think about that stuff before they're in it or are asked um, because they're so focused on some other goal. They're trying to get their game out or they're trying to get their numbers up or they're trying to, you know, whatever it is. Um, but you're not allowed to not be political now. And I and I still haven't figured out if that's right or wrong. But I also as a person like stepping out of my role as a PR person, like stepping out of my role as a business owner. I also look at it as just a citizen of the world and think like the political landscape has, has gotten so fucking gross. Um, and, and the things that are being politicized are, it's not like, you know, Oh, should fucking Nissan's have, you know, 
ice tires in the state of Alaska year round or like, you know what? You know what? It's like, that's not like a, that's not like an issue anymore. Like the issue is literally like there's there. It's, it's just paramount to just, just life and being a human being. And it just, I just feels like we have like these fucking ghouls in Washington that aren't listening to anybody and are making decisions for people's livelihoods that make no sense to me and then you're you're and then the and then a video game company is asked to come in and comment on said ghoulish behavior and it's like i make video games you know what i mean like why am i being asked to comment on these things but they are so important that now today's consumers and it's not just games it's every industry the new generation is making it political and they're they're basically drawing a line in the sand and saying you have to choose. And I'm on board with that. I really am. We don't want to work with a bunch of jerks and we don't. I really like everybody that we work with. They're really good people. Um, and if we were asked to do something ghoulish on behalf of some ghoulish company, I would. Yeah, I don't I'm not going to I don't need the money that bad. I'll go do something else. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's a really long-winded tangent to the original question that was asked. But, like, you can't. It, it, it is. And we can go into a whole session yeah. one day on how the industry has changed in the last 20, 30 years. But we're, like, almost out of time. And so I, know, I have I know, one I more know. important question. And then I'm going to I'm going to distribute it across the, the Discord channel, which is uh, discord.gg slash business for any of you who aren't on there. There's, like, a ton of wonderful people on there. Um and this one is important. If you're looking to work with an agency, how do you distinguish a good PR firm from a bad one? That you has to be the right fit for you. It's it's like a pair of shoes, right? Like Nike can put out Air Jordans that are amazing and cost five hundred dollars, and they just don't feel right on your feet. Or you can find some freelancer that is just getting started that seems to understand your brand and really get what you're doing, and they're maybe not. $500 shoes. It, it really just like you, you just have to go out and talk to people and see who's right for you. But also ask, ask PR folks like either, either small agencies like us or freelancers, um, bigger agencies are going to sort of be set in their ways and, and also have a lot of overhead and um, going to have a lot of requirements. We're really small. And, and that's, I, I've stayed that way on purpose. We say no a lot to, um, God damn it. We say no a lot to, um, to projects that, that that might we we wouldn't be able to take on because we you know we we have a set amount of clients and, and a curated client list so you just have to talk to people and and see who's worked on the, the games they've worked on look at their work talk to their clients it's not out of bounds to say hey you know we're we're at the end stages and we we think we want to go with you would you mind if you sent me a couple of of, of references of people that you either have worked with or are working with and. You know, it, it's just like interviewing anybody else for a team member um, for, for your dev team, right? You're, we work very much as an extension of your internal team. We're so integrated that it doesn't, it, it feels, it, it's a very different feeling um, when, when I approach a project and I'm involved in every single project that we do um, because that's the way I want to do it right now. And, and I, I have not scaled on purpose. Tindley is a very small company. We're three, four people, five people. Um, that you know, and 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 we use contractors, and um, and it's it. You have to uh, find the right fit for you. Um, so hopefully that helps. Um, but yeah, 
All right, next next a very important question. Do you have anywhere to go for like the next 15 minutes? Because we actually have more time. Oh no, not at all. Okay. Yeah, awesome. Sure. All right. So Great. for those of you who are waiting on our next AMA, which is with Anya Combs at Kickstarter, uh, be patient and also keep in mind I saw via Twitter that she got her booster yesterday. So she may be out cold in the bed sleeping at all. We're trying to get a hold of her. We're going to find her, or we're not going to find her. But otherwise, uh, Stephanie and I are going to keep you entertained no, until yeah, she I'm, gets tired I'm of, good. I'm good. of talking to us. Calendar. All right. So we had a bunch more stuff come in. That's the. All right. So this is one for me because I have never even heard of this. This is why you don't ask me marketing questions. How difficult is it to arrange remote preview sessions through Parsec? And on that note, why would you want to go with that over a demo to play at the media's own leisure? First question, what the hell is Parsec? Oh, I, Kai, I can answer that for you. I'm happy to jump in on that. Well, that, that's why we're here. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's not hard to arrange remote preview sessions through Parsec. Um, you So during the early days, so prior to COVID, we wouldn't ever be able to get press uh, to do a remote preview. We would have to fly out, hole up in a hotel, set up some computers, have a hands-on event or a hands-off event, or we would do behind closed doors at E3 or PAX or GDC or whatever, right? Um, COVID changed that because suddenly no one was traveling. Uh, we were all in lockdown. Uh, and so that um, we could still function as a business, we came up very quickly with remote um, remote demos. Parsec is a great way um, with low latency to do hands-on stuff. And uh, publishers love that because um, rather than just flinging a demo out and saying, oh, you have two weeks to play this. And, you know, I, I say that as a joke, but like, I'm actually literally doing that later today. I'm flinging builds. No, you, out did. you, you totally game. killed my Fall Guys demo but, when it went live. I, I, I... <laughs> but uh, um, the, the first step out the door the first introduction of gameplay or hands-on or something like you know something like that like if you haven't had like a lot of experience with this title or this game or there's areas of the build you don't want press playing because they're not done yet but you can't hide them from the rest of the build experience parsec is a great way to have control and control is the name of the game when you are conducting a marketing campaign um, you don't want to leave people to their own impressions before it's review time. Um, so for, for previews, you really want to be putting, it's like, in a, it's like going on a first date, right? You, you want to make the best impression. You want that person to like you. You want the media who's playing your game to say, oh, that's, you know, this is really fun. The section I played was really fun. I mean, have gotten a lot savvier, right? Like you don't just play a game and in a preview build and uh and then say oh my god this is gonna be goatee although i do still see that a lot um um like cyberpunk is a really great example of of that um because they had a lot of controlled demos and 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 the way they released their review code was on the most polished platform and then a lot of review events are actually in controlled environments especially when multiplayer is involved like there has never been a multiplayer launch in the history of the world that's gone smoothly like why why does anybody think that that's ever going to work. Um, um, so when you go to like big publisher hands-on uh, events that are review events, you're in a controlled environment and you're getting the most ideal experience 
but that may be the complete different experience that consumers will have on day one. So it's control is the bottom line. It's, it's, it's controlling the experience for the best impression possible. That's just, that's, that's marketing. That's it's basic, you know, per perception control. No, it's, it's not bad. It's just, you know, you, you want, you want to put your best foot forward. You want that person to ask you out again. All right. Well, uh, Anya is ready now. And so we're going to kick it over to her. Stephanie, thank you so much. Absolutely. Um, and, and again, I'll tell you later when we worked on something together, because it does come up in our conversations, at least on the show every, every now and then. Uh, all right. Sharky Shark, I know I did not get to your question. Pop it over to the Discord. Go to the post sessions chat channel and Miss Tinsley Fitzwilliams will, will be there to answer it. Thank you so much. Give me a minute and I'll be right back with Anya <laughs> from Kickstarter. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.